Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. But anyway, we, we really like to view this place as it's kind of a detox center from man-made religion. <laughs> Meaning, you know, we actually believe that Jesus is enough. And the cross worked. Say the cross worked. Right? Now, it's so funny because you start making uh, very definitive declarations about the finished work of Jesus, and, and people get a little uncomfortable at different ends of the religious perspective spectrum. I learned a new word last week. Spectrum. Anyway, religion is supposed to be a good thing, right? Take care of the widows, take care of the poor, minister if somebody... Here's how I view what God wanted for all of creation. He created a perfect universe with a planet as the ideal location for the expression of his love toward his family. And so he put two people on a planet. Imagine that. Can you imagine the abundance that for two people, a planet? And because we are that important, you know, the, the evolutionist mindset tries to take away from the value of mankind. It says, well, we're just a speck in the middle of nowhere. No, you have to understand God created all of this for you to stand before him on his planet and acknowledge his presence in your relationship with him. I think what God originally desired was give us a perfect planet with people that enjoy the abundance and the benefits of his creation. We walk with him and acknowledge him and know him, and we are enjoying relationship and love with one another. And if somebody's hurt or if somebody falls, you everybody picks them up and moves right along. But it's a family enjoying what God gave us. I don't think that God was sitting in heaven crafting really difficult situations for you as his will to get you where he needs you to be. We're the ones that introduced sin and death into this place. God gave us free will. He gave dominion of this place to us. We know this because he set it up perfectly in the beginning and he's going to set it up perfectly at the end. Everything else in between, you know, we've kind of done some damage, haven't we? And, and I know that's a, an extreme oversimplification, but again, I'm wanting to make these kinds of statements to reshift our thinking back to, okay, I literally do have peace with God. It was God's original intention. It's what it's going to be like. And in the midst of all this chaos and the confusion and the pain and the hurt and the depression and the lack and the injustice and the abuse and all of that stuff, I can live in security knowing that I have peace with God because I have Christ. And it's not, oh, you know, poor them. I'm good. Forget about them. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about realizing, no, you have peace with God. God's desire is that you live in harmony with his love for you, that you can stand secure every morning, waking up, forgetting the past, not trying to figure out what you got to do to make God happy today, but just knowing 
you know what? Jesus is enough. Jesus is the sufficiency that I need to be in order to be in right relationship with God. And to the degree that I let myself be full of Him, I will experience the sufficiency of the relationship that He has with the Father. Are you following me? So many of us are so stinking self-centered, it's ridiculous. And I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's true. We, when we approach God, who we are is right in the middle. It's at the core of the kind of being that we think that we are. We go to God with our ego intact. You know, your ego is essentially who you think you are based on the circumstances of this world. Like, if you self-identify with the abuse of your past, your ego is holding on to that abuse that happened to you. You haven't been able to let that go and, and take on your loving father's identity and, and that abuse not still evoke, invoke emotion or evoke emotion within you. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you think of something from your past that's destructive or hurtful and it still creates the emotion within you, you're not over it yet. You still identify, it's still part of your identity. You never forget what you went through, right? You, you want it to be used where you can minister to people. But if you think of something or if there's something that you're not dealing with because you don't like the way it makes you feel, it's still defining who you think you are. And God says, no, I have set you free from the effects of sin. Now, don't, lit, don't yield yourself to it any longer because you will continue to taste that death and you'll continue to experience that destruction. But it's time for you to believe who you are in him. And it's like when you, you know, we all have these things that we do, and it's different for everybody as far as the mental pictures that you get or the concepts that you understand about God. You know, I see this picture of as you're living life, it's almost like you've got this little self-portrait within you, and you go back and you recheck that thing, usually at a subconscious level, and you're thinking, who am I in this situation? I've got a new job opportunity. Who am I? Well, you know, my family's only ever had this kind of success, and I think I'm only here, and da, 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 or whatever. Or you've had an abuse, or something's happened. Something that you look to this world and says, this is who I am because this is what I went through. You never forget your past. You never, you never move so beyond it that you're not letting God use it for you to minister to others or continue to learn, but you have to realize, I'm not going to let the circumstances of, those, of this world tell me who I am. It's got to start there. For you to move past your struggles that you experience day to day, you have to stop identifying as someone who has those struggles. You know, Romans 12:2 says it this way, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we have an outside-in view of how God works with us, that we're waiting for God to show up and do something. And he's like, I gave you Jesus. Everything you need is in him in seed form. And if you can let that forgiveness and that righteousness that comes with him redefine who you are, you actually will begin to live from that new identity. Now, religion creeps in. Man-made, performance-based religion creeps in and says, yes, but you got to have fruit. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you were thinking, don't raise your hand? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but you got to have fruit. Okay, let's talk about that. Is it the fruit 
that brings you closer to God? Is it the fruit as you display that fruit that brings you closer to holiness? Is it the fruit that as you display it, you become more of a Christian that you're supposed to be? Or is it because you are complete already in Him because of what He did that you then display the fruit? See, now, that's an easy question. But a lot of us, when we live life, don't actually believe that because when we mess up, we start worrying, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Like, you ever wake up and discover that something that you've been doing is sin? (laughs) You're like, oh, my Lord, i got to go confess that. I wonder if God knew about that. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm over-exaggerating, but it's true. It's like we think he doesn't know what's going on. And we think that our righteousness depends on something that we prove to him. Now, I want to read a couple of passages here, and I'm going to go through it, And it's about fruit, you know. There's a couple of different places, and and I've mentioned this before, but as you're reading the Bible, you guys do that, right? (laughs) I know that's an old joke. I I need a new one, but read your Bible. Say, read your Bible. Bible. There's 27 apps on your phone you can read it from. It will read read itself to you these days, (laughs) and it's okay to do that. Anyway... um, I want to help us rebuild our thinking so that we live from the place of right relationship with God rather than trying to reach a right relationship with God. So last week, uh, Resurrection Sunday, we celebrated. It was pretty crowded in here. It was fun to see. Um, We talked about Jesus coming out of the grave. Imagine that, Resurrection Sunday. And he came out, and remember he said, don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended to the Father. And we went through the process, why did he do that? Because later on, it wasn't too much longer after that that he told Thomas, hey, put your finger in my side. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like you can't touch Jesus after resurrection. Later, I mean, he preached to you know, hundreds of people afterward. But, and he touched them and he ate with them and he was there with them. So it's not illegal to touch Jesus post-resurrection. So there's something happening in that moment. Most of you were here, but what was happening? It's a, it's a throwback to the priest under the Levitical system on the day of Yom Kippur, the one time a year that the priest did all the work, and the nation of Israel sat and was atoned for because of what the priest did that one day. That's a throwback to understanding what's going on with Jesus and what he's doing. The priest, after he would make the sacrifice, he would you know, kill the goat and collect the blood and go into the Holy of Holies before the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle that blood on the altar for God to receive as temporary atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. He would say after making that sacrifice, don't touch me, don't touch me, I've not yet offered the sacrifice. And that's what Jesus was saying. He came up out of that grave. And this was about to happen. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11, Jesus was taking his own blood, just like the model was shown us, to go into that heavenly holy of holies and make that once and for all offering for sin. Say once and for all. Now, where I'm going with this is what we see in verse 14, because we're wanting this to do something, not just to our identity, 
not just to show us that we have access to heaven because we're born again, but to show us the effects of what that type of sacrifice should do, all right? So it shouldn't just cleanse your spirit or however you say it. It shouldn't just offer you salvation. I mean, that, as good as that is, we want that, but it does something even deeper. So starting in verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. I want to see that. You guys want to see that? That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all. The very presence, the, the source of God's power, the place that all life emanates from, where God Almighty is at his most intense, or however you think about it, right? Before the very presence of God, Jesus goes in there with his own blood. And why blood? Because the life is in the blood. This is more about an exchange for of death for life than it is God's angry and he needs to kill somebody. You know what I mean? Because there's kind of a, an attack on the cross in the understanding of the, the, the penalty aspect of it. God had to punish sin. And we couldn't take it. So Jesus, God himself became a man, lived perfectly, so a representative for humankind could take the punishment that mankind needed to experience. So he did that for us, and once he did that, he passed through the grave, conquered death and hell, and came back with his own blood and did this, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, and that's what, they, that's what was sanctified. They were in the, under the old covenant when they'd go through the sacrifice and they'd have the atonement ceremony, it was a cleansing from the outside. It was a cleansing of the body, a cleansing of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is where we're going. This is what I want to talk about today. I want you to leave here with this. You can take that down. What should happen is yes, you understand that the blood of Christ is your salvation. It is your redemption. It is, it is where you exchange your death for his life. But what the blood does, what his life does, and you experiencing the effects of that, that sacrifice being made is your conscience is cleansed. Now, I kind of want to let that sink in for a minute. Think about it for a minute. Your conscience being cleansed. What would it be like to have a completely clear conscience. This is the effect that it should produce. Yeah, but fruit, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. No, Jesus. There is no but to put in front of Jesus. It's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There is no qualifying factor of you having a clear conscience. It's not when you figure out how to quit sinning that you get to have a clear conscience. Now, is sin okay? Are you sure? Okay. Just to get that on the table. Does God go easy on sin? Are we making light of sin? No, sin kills. Don't do it. It hardens your heart. But the issue is, 
Have you let the powerful sacrifice of Christ, what Jesus did for you, actually cleanse your conscience? I was on, I get people contact me from all over. There was a guy, I think, he, I think Ukraine maybe, was asking about, he was a believer and then he went into witchcraft and all this kind of stuff and then he said, I had posted a statement about God not being mad and he said, that's great. How do I actually experience that? Because I feel like I betrayed God. I feel like I, you know, abandoned God. I feel like I disappointed God. And it's like, okay, well, you have forgotten that you're forgiven, for one thing. Now, put Jesus at the center of your salvation rather than you. See, we're talking about salvation and understanding your relationship with God in spiritual terms rather than carnal terms. When you start worrying about sin affecting your relationship with God, you're self-centered. Your ego is saying, I am my sin, and you're carnal in your thinking. Doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? <laughs> but it's true. If you're sitting there worrying, if your sin is disappointing God, and it might be, God's not looking at you like avoiding looking at your sin. Some people teach that God doesn't even see your sin. No, that's not what it says. It says God remembers your sins no more. The word remember is rehearse or to rethink. Of course he sees your sin. He sees everything that you're doing. It's just in, if you're in Christ, there's no, it has no more power to be held against you because there's nothing to give it power to hold against you. The penalty for the law has already been dealt with in Jesus. It's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard to get these concepts when you're sitting there feeling guilty and struggling and you have a real need to be right doctrinally. Or you're a pastor and you think that the fruit of your people determines your closeness to God in heaven or something like that. Uh, there are pastors that think that. The condition of their flock is their responsibility. Am I telling you the truth? Are we saying sin's okay? No, we're just talking about it from a spiritual perspective. Get it in the right place. Your conscience can be cleansed because Jesus has made you clean before the Father. God is not remembering your sin. He is not holding your sin against you. Now, you have to know this in order to actually live in the freedom that you have. You know, what this should do is cause you to, be, to take responsibility for your life. In other words, it's my, yes, the condition of my life is my choice now. God absolutely expects fruit from me. You know, Mike and I, Mike was, I don't know, is that an announcement you're interested in making? Yeah. <laughs> Mike was just elected to chairman of the district GOP. So, yeah, that's a good thing. And it's good because he's, the focus is not Republican GOP talking points, it's freedom, right? I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth, and maybe you, in fact, why don't you come up and share a word on freedom after, during the announcements, but, you know, he and I talk, and it's like, from a governmental political perspective, it's the same as a pastoral perspective. The question is, how do we get people to take responsibility for their freedom and live well in it? not dependent on something else, 
but being able to stand on your own. Amen? I mean, that's what we need all across the board. And that's not a political agenda. That is uh, functioning in the role of government according to biblical principles. I didn't get an amen on that one, but you know. So that's the goal, right? How do you get people to take responsibility for this freedom? Because we've got all these excuses. I've been hurt, or I'm just worthless. You know, man, I'm telling you, it is one of the biggest lies of man-made religion to tell you that you are still by nature a sinner desiring evil all the time. Well, you've got an excuse to stay in your sin. If you're just an old, worthless, uh, reprehensible, totally depraved being, are you kidding me? God gave you a new heart. You've got to know who you are. Not because of anything that you've done. And it's not a prideful statement. It's truth to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because what you're saying is, the cross worked. I am a reflection. I am an example of what the cross does to someone's life. The kind of freedom that I live in and enjoy like Paul said, hey, everything's legal for me, but not everything is beneficial, right? You don't want to cause stumbling blocks for anybody, and it's not like you, you do the stuff in private that you used to feel guilty about. We're not, you know, it's like sometimes people hear this kind of message and they think, well, you're, you're in secret sin or you're making an excuse for your sin. Baloney. That's, you know, fake meat. That's fake theology to say that you should feel guilty before God. The blood of Jesus is to, is one of the effects is for you to cleanse your conscience. If you are standing before the Father or you're praying and you feel guilty, you have not yet let the blood of Christ do that deep work within you to bring healing and wholeness from your past, from your actions. Well, what if I do it again? Aren't I going to hell? That's not what he's saying in Hebrews. I mean, I know I'm, some of you might not be familiar with it, but it says, you know, if there's willful sin continued, there's no more sacrifice for sin. Of course, if you understand it from the finished work, new covenant perspective, what he's saying is, if you continue on in that sin, you're going to expect condemnation and judgment. That's, that's the mindset that you're going to live within because there's no more sacrifice. He was speaking to Jews. He was saying, look, if you continue in sin, you can't run back down to the temple and offer this sacrifice to temporarily cleanse your conscience because, you know, you've made God happy with your sacrifice, you know, and, and we do that all the time. We have such guilt. Well, I'm going to give a big check today, and that might put me in better graces with God. No, we might like you a little better, but, you know. <laughs> no, you know, you know, I'm kidding. What, what was the word used in the old days where you could buy forgiveness for sin? Indulgence. Indulgence. You ever heard that term, indulgences? The, 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 a group of people that were in error would stroll through town and offer certificates where you bought these things, and they were called indulgences, and you paid for the indulgences, and that was your, the absolution of your sin. Wow. I mean, that's, that is, that is, that's like looking at Jesus and him standing there with his own blood after having offered it before the Father and saying, would you like to be cleansed by this? And you're going, nope, not enough. I got some money. 
But we do that with our praise or whatever it is that you think that you do that makes God like you better. No, you're in Jesus. Say, I'm in Christ. All right. I'm getting actually to the scripture that I'm wanting to. Am I telling you the truth? I hope, I hope it's encouraging to you. 2 Peter 1, let's look at this. Because that's the question, right? Well, there should be fruit. You can't just tell people that they're free. There's got to be fruit. Of course there's got to be fruit. In no way would we invalidate all of the scripture that Jesus even says, I expect you to have fruit. And then he says, but if you don't have fruit, I will lift you up and I will hold you close in to me and I will nurture you so that you will bear fruit because you can't bear fruit apart from me. That's That's a whole reworking of John 16. But anyway, that's a different topic. This, I want to look at this, and what we're doing is we're looking at fruit. If you pay attention, the list that he's about to go through here um, is very closely related to the list of fruit that that he desires in Galatians 5, right? The The fruits of the Spirit. And if you understand conceptually teachings from the Word of God, you understand that this is not really a separate list. This is not really a separate doctrine. This is the way Peter says it, and in Galatians, that's the way Paul said it. It's pretty much the same thing. They just they come at it different ways. Their audience is different of how they're explaining, where they're getting to. You know, it, it'll help you in your reading of the Bible if you understand, all right, what's the concept here? How is this related to what Jesus taught Do I see it in any of the other epistles? How can I build a a conceptual understanding of this idea rather than I'm in Peter, what's the doctrine to learn? I'm in Galatians, what's the doctrine to learn? You know what I mean? Like as if we get everything right, then you're good. No. Conceptually understand what we're talking about. Jesus initiated this talking about I'm the vine, you're the branch. You know, if you have trouble picturing what Christianity looks like, To me, it looks like this. God is standing here with life. You, and and he's he's a tree or a vine. You are a branch dead laying on the ground. And he reaches to you with Jesus, and he gets right to you, and you look up and you say, oh, yes, please, Jesus. And then he picks you up, and as he picks that dead branch up off the ground, through the agent of Jesus, you saying yes to Jesus, God picks you up, and he engrafts you back into himself as that branch now regenerated back to life again because you were dead and cut off in your sin. And now the very life essence that flows through God flows through you. And then what births off of you at the end of your branch, at the end, at the extremities of your life, is the fruit that is inherent within the tree. See, the way that you bear fruit is that because you are connected to God and his life is flowing through you and it naturally births into this earth. Man-made religion, of which we need to detoxify from, would say, I'm not sure you're saved unless you're bearing fruit. It looks on the outside and says, you keep doing this, you're probably not saved. You ever been in a church like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wrong. Wrong. Should you bear fruit? Yes. Is sin okay? No. But let's talk about this in terms of spiritual understanding, the finished work of the cross, and then deal with your behaviors. We get it backwards. You know, it's like you want to chop down an apple tree, 
You're not going to chop it down by running around picking all the apples off of it and then picking the leaves off of it. You, you go to the root. You deal with the root. The root is we are engrafted in him. And if we're not bearing fruit, why are we not bearing fruit? Because that's the question that people ask. You start teaching this, and you're like, okay, well, then what do you tell people that aren't bearing fruit? And, you know, what you're subtly hearing is, I question people's salvation based on their fruit. How do you question people's salvation? I'm telling you, I've met with people that are deathly afraid that they're not saved because they keep sinning. And they keep sinning because of one thing that they have forgotten. So we're getting there, all right? This is what he's talking about. He's talking about fruit. You ready? Do you need to stretch for a minute? Because we're actually getting to the part that I wanted to get to. So, <laughs> All right. Now, listen to who he's talking to. You know, this is, when you read the Bible, when you read... By the way, there's a great resource. Sarah found it, but we've been passing it around. It's called The Bible Project. It's amazing. Thebibleproject.com, or they've got a YouTube channel, The Bible Project. And they've got an app that takes you through reading the Bible, but they've made all these videos, and the videos are incredible. We watched one on a Wednesday night about holiness. Go watch the one on holiness. It's incredible. But they've gone through, you know, some five minutes, some ten minutes, and they give a synopsis of every book of the Bible. You know, they kind of do, this is what the whole Bible is about, this is how to read the Bible, and then they go through every single book, and they show you, this is who wrote it, this is the context of it, this is the gist of it, and it, it's really good. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. I've, it's still being funded. They don't have every book. Yeah, it's a, it's a oh, is it not? They're, they're still working on some of the books. Oh, most of them are there, but uh, they're all free. It's a nonprofit. I'm, think, I'm thinking about, you know, us supporting them because uh, they're a great tool, great for kids or youth group or even just average, you know, reading. So anyway, I was thinking about that because one of the points that they made in that was when you're reading a particular book in the Bible, pay attention to the audience, right? Are they talking to believers? Are they talking to unbelievers? Is this old covenant? Is this new covenant? Is this before Jesus? Is this after Jesus? Is this Jesus talking about the highest levels of living under the law? Or is this Jesus teaching about what it's like in his kingdom? You know, you have to understand the audience, understand the time frame, and understand where you are in the equation of before or after cross. So in this, he very clearly tells you who he's talking to. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's talking to Christians. But he says it in a real poetic way that kind of gives you some understanding of, okay, well, I have, I have this faith. I've, give, I've been given this faith in the righteousness of God. You know, it just kind of extrapolates what it is. So verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, or Lord Jesus our Lord. As his divine power, now, when I, when I see divine power in my mind, I immediately understand that's grace. That's what grace is, divine power. Specifically, God's divine influence in my heart because I'm one with God, I'm connected with him, his spirit is influencing me. That influence is creating a power and it's giving me an energy and a life source that I don't have within myself. I'm depending on his divine power. And it's by his grace that I can live. So that, to me, that's what grace is. And, and it's the definition, a divine influence on your heart. So 
as his divine power has given to us all, say all, all, all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, everything you need for life comes from God's divine power, comes from God's grace, comes because you have obtained a faith in the knowledge of God as expressed in Jesus. That's the context of your faith, right? And a lot of these things, it teaches you how to think about, okay, who am I? What am I supposed to, how do I deal with this thing? You look at the progression. You know, we typically, you look at those little numbers in front of the scriptures and we isolate them. And we pull them out and we say, okay, this scripture, this scripture, and we memorize them, but we don't see how it all fits together. So everything you need for life has been given to you because you have faith in Jesus, amen, and godliness, and he's about to talk about godliness. A lot of times when we hear godliness, we think behavior, and yes, that's part of it, but it's also what kind of peace are you living in? What kind of joy is going on on the inside of you? You know, what, what, where are you, what rock are you standing on? How stable are you in who you are in Christ? I mean, that, that's as much godliness as anything, and really it starts there. So remember, we're detoxifying from man-made religion that's focused on performance, that says I get closer to God as I externally behave better. Now, a lot of people wouldn't explain it that way, but that's how it affects you. Your behavior affects you that way. Do you see the difference? Like, you might not say, well, I think I'm closer to God when I don't sin. You might say that. But is that actually true, or is that your experience and your perception? That's what I'm talking about. So, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding and great and precious promises. All right, so, by that faith that we have in Jesus and that divine power working within us, there are these exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, I wish we had more time and we could go into like a prayerful exercise and you just sit and kind of marinate on that a little bit because think about this. You, God has made you promises so you would be a partaker of his divine nature. You know, that process looks like this. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. His divine influence is working within you, giving you all these promises, everything you need for life and godliness. And God promises you, because you are in Christ, you can partake of this divine nature. I don't even know what that all means. You know what I mean? But it's like, I can have a quality of life on this planet that's not limited to my failures or my ability to succeed. I can share in the kind of life that God has. Now, you're not going to become a God. You're not a God. You know, you don't get a planet based on how many wives you have. One's enough. One's enough. Did you know there are some people who believe that, right? That polygamy is legal because how many wives you have and you give them a secret name and when you pass into eternity, you call that secret name and you get a planet per wife. <laughs> Mormons, but anyway. <laughs> so,
so that through these promises, I'm not talking about you becoming a god, okay? But you partake of his divine nature. In other words, the kind of being that you are is, is, is changed to be in the image of Christ. This is a big deal. We have to understand these kinds. We have to, we have to know this stuff when we pray. When, when life is not working... You can't flip into, God, what am I supposed to do? Why didn't you do this? You go to this, and you remember, no, God has promised me that I am a partaker in life of his nature. And you start there. You may not understand what all that means. You may not understand, but you, you, you affirm your connection with him, and then you live from that truth. So then he's going to get into the fruit here. He says, so... Because this promises you can be a partaker of divine nature, you can escape the corruption that's in the world, which is sin. So having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. All right, now this is where we go, right? Because the fruit question, right? Well, I'm not so sure you're saved because you're not bearing the fruit that I think you should bear. Or when you question your own salvation, gosh, I, I'm not sure I'm saved because I keep doing this thing. It, it comes from scriptures like this. And first off, add to your faith is, is a, it's a, it's a bit of a mistranslation. The word add there is this Greek word that's like, but it means to super add. It means... Yeah, did you? Yeah, that's exactly how you pronounce it. Yeah. But, but it's like, you're not, it's not like you have some faith and then by your own effort you add virtue or you add knowledge. It's almost like because you are a partaker of that divine nature, you're going to allow God to add these things to you. So it's more like expect that these will be added to you as you follow, which if you think about it, it's the exact same thing that Jesus said over in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added to you. See, when you read stuff like this, how does it fit with what Jesus taught? Oh, I remember he said this here, so that will give me more understanding because Jesus is God. I'm not saying the Bible is in error, but it's got to match what Jesus taught, okay? So Jesus said these things are added to you as you seek God as you seek that righteousness, that kingdom, and it's within you, as you seek to live within that righteousness that God has given to you. Because we desire fruit. You all desire fruit, and you feel guilty when you're not bearing it. Remember the blood, you've cleansed, your conscience can be cleansed, but the way you step into fruit and the way you expect other people to display fruit, is it's in here. So let's keep going. So add to your faith virtue. Virtue is cool. It does mean purity, but the first definition of, you know, no, it's, this is a better word. I think it's easier to say. Anyway, the first definition of that Greek word, and the reason we go back to the Greek is because the first letters that we have of the Bible were written in Greek, so that's why we go there. But the word virtue is of a victorious mindset. How cool is that? One of the first things that the Spirit of God wants to add to you because you have been set free from the corruption that's in the world, you're a partaker of God's divine nature, is a victorious mindset. 
And then to that knowledge, let's keep going, to knowledge, self-control. You see that one, self-control? Just so you know, it's possible for, for all of us. I'm not beating you up. Perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. This starts to sound like a list of all the things God wants you to do. This is a list of all the things that you do to prove that you're a Christian. These are the list of all the things that, you know, you know the, the performance-based mentality would say, you do these things in order for God to have favor on you. If you don't do these things, bad things happen. You know, it, just, just the fact that it's external and performance in our mind, watch where he goes. So I know I stopped in mid-thought, but watch. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't go to verse 9 yet. What would you imagine it says next? And if you have a Bible, you know, a lot of people hear this. But he who lacks these things should question his salvation and ask to be forgiven again. It's funny, but that's what people think. If these things are yours, all that list of stuff that God expects from you, right, are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of... Notice that it's not in your behavior or in your performance, but it's in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. If you are not bearing the fruit that God expects of you, it is because you have forgotten that you were already cleansed of your sin. I mean, we're just reading Scripture. but I'm not doing enough of this. Well, maybe there's an element in your heart that's not connected with and you've forgotten the work that Jesus has done for you. Well, you know, but I keep, I keep falling into this particular sin. Okay, you have not yet realized or you have forgotten what God has done for you in this area. The solution is go back to what Jesus did for you and remember, that's why we take communion. Remember what Jesus did. And in that remembering and rehearsing what Jesus did for me, I put those things in my mindset. I become transformed by the renewing of my mind. And it's key to know you already are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And to the degree that that's your inner world experience and you don't forget, you will display the fruit of the Spirit. You're beating yourself up for not having the fruit that you think you should have. Well, what areas of your heart are not currently connected with the cleansing of your conscience with the blood of Christ? You know, I'm going to say this about 12 more times in different ways because I want to give you a moment to let the Holy Spirit work on this truth in your mind. If you are not displaying the fruit that you know that God expects from you, it's not because you're some evil old dirty sinner and the Black dog inside of you is winning. You know, there's some people that teach you got a white dog and a black dog. 
which is just, that ain't right anyway. And whichever one you feed more, in other words, you've got an old nature and a new nature, and whichever one you feed more is going to win. You know, there's a fight going on inside of you. That is so dumb. Stop thinking that. You've you got to realize, no, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who I am. Now then, from there, let me address this mess that I keep falling into. But the way out of it is to remember what Jesus did for me. I mean, are you seeing this? Yeah, that's good. Now, this is where I depend on the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit for you. Because I can give you some information, I can point to some scripture, give you a little bit of knowledge, but you, say me, me. you have to take the truth of what happened in that heavenly holy of holies between Jesus and his Father with his blood and what that means for you. Can you enter into that place? Can you understand what happened there and how it affects you and then learn how to let that change how you see yourself? And out of you changing how you see yourself, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts to shape you and mold you, it being what Jesus did for you. Bear the fruit that you know God expects from you, that you feel guilty when you don't bear it. Don't let anybody judge you according to your works and your actions. Don't you dare question your salvation based on your behavior. The question you should ask is, how in the world have I become so forgetful about what Jesus did for me? Because when, when that is alive within you, it will produce fruit. You believe that? I got a little list here. Let me just kind of encapsulate this. So these are a few points to remember when addressing your behavior or trying to detoxify from man-made religion or trying to get rid of the guilt and the shame. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you think, have some things that you feel guilty about? You'd like to let these things go. I don't want this. I, I'm so tired of this nagging at me. You know what I'm talking about. Based on the progression that we saw in 1 Peter there, or 2 Peter, you have the faith of Christ in you. And as always, we'll do a blog post and we'll put all this stuff up. If you're not connected with us, like our Facebook page, because I'll, we, I want to give you things that you can actually put into practice. I don't want you to just come here and we preach at you and then it doesn't affect the rest of your life. Well, I want to give you some things that you can take and discipline your own life with to remember what Jesus did for you. This is a list that I just, it's really, I just lifted it straight out of the first part of 2 Peter 1, but there's some key points here. So when you're dealing with guilt and shame and, and thinking that you're not bearing godly fruit, remember, number one, you have the faith of Christ in you. Number two, grace and peace are multiplied to you. I have enough grace coming to me to be able to conquer this thing. Number three, his divine power gives you everything you need for life. You know, if you start thinking, okay, well, I don't have this in my life because I've really missed it here and my behavior has disqualified me from God blessing me in this particular area of life. No. In your mind, you have forgotten that God cleansed you with the blood of Jesus from that guilt that is continuing to harden your heart and cause you to not receive what God has for you. So... <clears throat> Number four, 
His divine power gives you everything you need for godliness. You can't live godly on your own. No way can you because the flesh is incapable. So he puts something within you that gives you the power to do so. Number five, God has promised his kind of life to you. I'm going to give you, can I give you some, let me give you number six. Because his life is in you, you are free from the corruption in this world, which is sin. Now, I'm going to give you some homework. Go back and read 2 Peter. Really read the whole book, but specifically 2 Peter chapter 1. Make your own list. Go back and reread this. I want you to see it. I don't want you to just take how I walked through it. Go back and read it. Understand that you're dealing with, I'm looking at the fruit in my life. It's not where I'd like it to be. Where am I going to go with it? Am I going to remember that it's not because, that it's because I'm forgetting who I am? I'm forgetting that I'm forgiven. Let me deal with that. But your homework is this. Make your own list. It might be similar to my list. Make your own list of what you're going to do the principles that you can put into place based on what Jesus did for you and what God is offering to you through His Spirit and His grace that you're going to do when you recognize an area of your life that you are not happy because it's not reflecting God in this area. Because usually what we do is we either hide it. This is what some people do. They, they continue into the sin, and then they act like it never happened until they're far enough away from it that they kind of feel emotionally okay to talk to God about it again and then try to deal with it and then do it again. You know, it's like you're hiding it from God for a little while. When you're dealing with areas of your life that aren't reflecting fruit that you know you should, go into this list here. Go into the first part before he gets into the fruits that should be displayed and look at what am I going to do to remind myself that I'm already forgiven, that the blood of Jesus can cleanse my conscience, let me connect with those truths first, and then let me deal with this fruit issue. Make your own list. Because you need some ways of living the Christian life. You know, we're, we're, most of us are just like pinballs. We just wake up in the morning, and boom, you're shot out of the chute. You bounce around all day long, you know, and you see how many points you rack up, and then you crash into the hole at night. <laughs> like you're just reacting to life, you know. No, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Not saying you have control over your life. I'm not saying that, you know, you're not co-laboring with God to be led and guided and taught and all that. You know, I mean, just saying, you keep beating yourself up of all those areas that you keep missing it. And it's because you have not yet deeply experienced the cleansing of your conscience or you have forgotten. Because... To be spiritually minded is life. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, your outer world will change to match your inner world because God is already in you if you've said yes to Jesus and he's constantly supplying to you grace and knowledge and virtue and wisdom. It's your choice. How serious of a disciple do you want to be following Jesus? Oh, I got really serious with that for a minute. <laughs> but it's true. How much of this stuff do you actually want to live in? And how much do you actually want to reflect the character of God that's been given to you? Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the plan of salvation. Now remember, you're for, say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Got quiet on that one. If you can't say that and be confident about it, then you've got some understanding about the cross to work on. Amen? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your peace that you've given us. We give you all honor and respect for salvation. We do. We want to fully and wholly reflect your goodness and your mercy and your character and your fruit on this planet. And we know that it starts first in understanding and receiving this forgiveness that you have for us in the blood of Christ and letting that cleanse us and and wash away all that guilt and shame because Jesus already took it. There's nothing left for you to hold against us because we're in Christ. And I want that to be the truth of my inner world and my identity. Jesus, I'm putting you at the center and I'm removing myself from the center, and I'm going to live from that place in you. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.